This episode of Revision Path is brought to you by Facebook Design. Diversity at Facebook is a huge issue. I asked product designer Matthew Suber how having a diverse workforce affects what Facebook creates. I think it's a diversity of thought and uh Diversity thought is, you know, sometimes uh, the way it's the way you grow up. Sometimes it's even the way you're treated based on how you look, how you love, where you're from, what culture or subculture you align with or belong to. And with that, that can translate into considerations and empathy that often could make uh, wonderful products and also allows you to, you know, vocalize uh, you know, concerns or opportunities that otherwise might not be seen. Learn more at facebook.com forward slash design. Are you looking for a job? Do you know someone who's looking for a job? Then check out our job board over at provisionpath.com forward slash jobs. This week, Bandcamp is looking for an art director for their editorial features. Buffer has two remote positions available for a product engineer and an engineering manager. And here at Provision Path, we're looking for a design writer to join our team. We also have job listings from Indeed.com, so head to the Revision Path job board at revisionpath.com forward slash jobs to apply and to search for any other listings. Don't forget to sign up for weekly job alerts so when there are new positions added to the job board, you'll get an email so you can be the first to apply. Again, that's revisionpath.com forward slash jobs. You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Welcome to the Revision Path Podcast. My name is Maurice Cherry, and before we get into this week's interview, I want to talk about our sponsors, Glitch, Google Design, and MailChimp. Glitch is the friendly community where you'll build the web app of your dreams. Whether you're into design, coding, music, or art, Glitch is the right tool for you. You can start from scratch or remix any of the available projects there and make them your own. And if you get stuck, just raise your hand and get help from the Glitch community. Get started on making something awesome today at Glitch.com. Whether it's defining a branding style in VR or creating a voice user interface that actually feels human, Google Design is committed to sharing the best design thinking from Google and beyond. Sign up for great stories, events, and the latest updates on material design at design.google forward slash newsletter. Again, that's design.google forward slash newsletter. You can also follow Google Design on Facebook, Twitter, and Google+. Did you know that the number one email marketing priority is personalization? I mean, it makes sense if you think about it. You only want to hear from the people and the businesses that you like. And MailChimp helps make that happen with their robust campaign builder, merge tools, and a host of helpful automations. It's email marketing with a personal touch. Sign up at MailChimp.com today for a free account. MailChimp. Send better email. We've got a new review here from Apple Podcasts. This comes from N. Munar, and it's called Oxygen. Here it is. Breath of fresh air. The latest Black Panther episode is everything. First of all, thank you so much, N. Munar. You know, the Black Panther episode actually was really fun. Um, and I asked if we should do some more kind of roundtable episodes like that. So what do you think? Uh, for those of you that are listening, do you think we should do more of these episodes, like pick design topics, talk about them with a panel? 
Uh, send us an email and let us know. Mail at revisionpath.com or revisionpath at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Now for this week's interview. I'm talking to designer and art director Hadia Williams, founder of Black Pepper Papery. Let's start the show. All right, so tell us who you are and what you do. My name is Hadia Williams. I am a designer based in D.C. My background is in graphic design, but I'm a designer. So we've had quite a few people on the show that are in D.C. or like in like the general kind of uh, DMV area. For you, what is the design scene like there? What's it like for you? The design scene is, D.C. is what people would consider a type A city. So it's very much rooted in... A lot of it is connected to government. There is a lot of tech here. So it's it has this, oh, it's not rigid, but it's not extremely like free-flowing creative. So it's it's moving. I'm, I'm trying to think of how to describe it, but there's a group, the AIGA is really active here. Um, we have a great board. So they, they do a lot of work and bring a lot of people together. So So it's active. It's an active community. And of course, I mean, for people that are listening, everybody knows of D.C. as, as Chocolate City. Uh-huh. Is there like a strong black design scene there? No, not. Like, I have a lot. Like when I first moved here in back home in 2005, I'm from D.C. and I moved home from Chicago. I joined an organization that was called the Organization of Black Designers. It doesn't exist anymore. Okay. But I met a lot of seasoned black designers in D.C. that way. And so... There is a community of, I guess not, I guess I would call them elders that exist that was connected. And then there's this really, this vast group of younger designers who's pretty spread out. And so I don't feel like we've all come together. I know a lot of designers in DC because of that organization. And there's this, I guess, combo of tech and design that I, I feel like is more prevalent with young designers. So We've talked for years about trying to bring everyone together, but there's not like a hardcore community that exists. I got you. Yeah, I'm familiar with the organization of black designers. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I've been going back and forth with them at least since I started Revision Path five years ago. Like it's been a a kind of a on and off sort of relationship because from what I gather, I know that they were very popular when they first came out. In the 90s and early 2000s, they had a conference. And and yeah. since then, things have kind of waned in terms of activity. I've heard at some points that they were trying to kind of make a comeback and people were having meetings and they were trying to make stuff happen. But yeah, it doesn't surprise me that it still kind of hasn't, I guess, gelled into something that people can actually look at and, and be a part of. It's still very fragmented. It's fragmented. and because it, it kind of fell apart at the top. And so I think in order for it to come back together, it would have to be a fresh, you know, like a fresh eye on it, a fresh perspective on what the organization yeah. means. So, yeah. I agree. And I'm sure that David Rice is listening to this and I'm sure he will send me an email or even better call <laughs> me and let me know <laughs> that the organization of black designers is still popping. So I'm pretty sure <laughs> I'm pretty sure I'll hear from him soon. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so what is a, a typical day like for you as a designer? Because I know that you're doing a lot of stuff between graphic design and even through your own company, which we'll talk about later. But what's a typical day like? 
Well, right now I am doing freelancing and I am creating as a designer, but I'm creating, I guess, more with my hands. So a typical day would be me getting up and probably photographing some of my work that I make. I'm working with clay. So I, I photograph that in the mornings a lot of a lot of the time just because of the light. And and then I go into my studio, which is based in northeast D.C. And, you know, I'll go there and make stuff. I go there and work on my laptop, you know, depending on, on what I'm working on. So at the moment, it's, you know, it, it has some structure, but it's it's really relaxed day. And I'm usually there. Most of the day, unless I decide to go somewhere else to work, like a museum, which is always nice. <laughs> Let's talk about Black Pepper Papery Company. That's your business. Where did you get the idea to start your own studio? Black Pepper Papery Company is, I got the idea after working, I was working at a nonprofit. This is in 2016. And I'd been there for like six months. And it's a nonprofit I've done work with for years. And I was working on a wedding on the side, a wedding suite. And it was a big, big wedding. And it was in New Orleans. And in November, um, the wedding was like November 19th, 2016. And I went to the wedding and it was so amazing and so almost life changing in a sense. Because when I got back home, I knew that I did not want to continue working just in at the nonprofit and that kind of being it. I knew I wanted to do work that was meaningful and that was exciting and that had that same energy that I got when working on the wedding. So, so that was kind of where the idea of the black pepper papery, which is why it was kind of based in paper at the time, because it was going to be stationary design, you know, weddings, events and paper products. And it's evolved a lot into design across different mediums. But that's kind of where I started with that idea. What kind of things did you were you doing for the wedding, like invitations and place cards, stuff like that? Absolutely. So I did the invitation and there was the day of stuff. So I'm trying to think of all the pieces. We did a handkerchief for the second line because there was a second line. There was the signage for the wedding. There was, yeah, program, place cards. It was so many little things like table signage. It was just there's a lot of pieces, especially once I got down there. We, I did some things when I was on site. So, but it was a like an entire wedding suite, and and you can find like links to because the wedding was featured on OK Africa. It was on the route, and it was a really really amazing event. And and the, she said the invitation. She talks about it in her interview. Uh-huh. The invitation is what really sparked how the the trajectory of this affair. Like she went from you know, almost whittling down her wedding to after she saw the invitation design, she was like, no, I know what this is going to be. I want it to, you know, like she kind of took off um, with her ideas and it really was beautiful. And so, yeah. That's nice. Yeah. It's, it's always good when design can inspire someone like that, mm-hmm. especially on such a special occasion. Yes. Yeah. So I, that was really fun. And yeah, you felt the energy from that. So I'm, I'm happy to be have been a part of that process. Yeah. Now, you mentioned working at this NPO. So I want to talk about kind of the earlier, you know, earlier moments of your career. So what were some of those first kind of design jobs that you, you did? I know you went to, to Bowie State. Mm-hmm. When you graduated from there, do you feel like they kind of prepared you for going out into the working world? So I graduated from Bowie State with a degree in computer science. 
And, but that, yeah, but that is where I started taking classes in what was called computer graphics. And this was in like 1998, 99. Mm -hmm. And so they didn't have a design program at all. Boy State is right now is really killing it. And as far as their design program, they're really doing great things. But then it was just art and they had computer graphics classes, which were more based in teaching you how to use the software as opposed to design. So I learned how to use the software in a class, an elective I took. And I kind of from there taught myself how to do things. And I ended up going to Columbia College, Chicago, after I graduated from Bowie State and decided that I knew that computer software engineering wasn't for me. I worked for like maybe almost two years as a software engineer and went to Columbia College, Chicago and got my BFA in graphic design. And they had a two, they had a second bachelor's program. Mainly, I think it was actually a lot of it was based on the graphic design field because it was a field that people picked up later in life. So they had a program that was only two years. So you didn't have to do all of the the freshman courses. You could just go straight into the field track. And so, yeah, I graduated from Bowie. So from Bowie State, that was a great foundation. Just being at HBCU and having that college experience. Yeah. But and that is where I started, kind of got my intro to computer graphics or graphic design. <laughs> Do you find that, that you said that the knowledge as a software software engineer, did that help you out once you went into Columbia College with the graphic design program? I'm, I'm sure it has some kind of connection to it. You know, there's a lot of logical thinking. So a lot of, to me, it was like, like puzzles, which I, to me, graphic design is almost like puzzle pieces. So you have to think logically and kind of put all these parts together to make to make a whole, to make something work. So in that sense, it is connected. But in the literal sense, it was like a completely different space and a different way of thinking. As I think more like an artist as a designer, I do have that that logical side as well. That's a good uh, thing I want to point out there. What do you kind of see as the difference between design and art? Because you're you're mentioning, you know, design being like a puzzle and how you can approach it in this logical way. How do you see the difference between those two, design and art? To me, I design like an artist, if that makes sense. I know a lot of people think of design as a very like counted and measured, thought out. You know, there's the grid, there's all these these systems that you need to use before you even get to actually creating. And for me, it's a very intuitive process. I've used the grid. I like I said, I can count how many times I've used a strict grid in my design work. So art to me involves spirituality. It's a very intuitive process. You know, you kind of can draw on something from within. And in my design work, I do that a lot. Like I feel like it's very much like art. And when it's received, it feels like art in the sense where I've gotten a lot of emotional responses. I've gotten tears from the work. And that's to say like there's an element to it that is beyond the grid, if so to speak. It, you know, it's it's very much rooted in a, it creates a feeling, it, it draws, you know, it really connects with people. And so, so I don't know if that, if that answers the question. No, it, it answers it. Can you talk <laughs> a little bit more, I guess, about the inspiration behind your designs? I mean, I, I look at them through Black Pepper Papery Company for people that are checking it out on the web. But when I look at your designs, I do get this very sort of strict African influence from it. But can you talk kind of some more about personally where that comes from? 
I've always been drawn to the aesthetic of like West African art or you know, African art, but primarily West African art, these very bold lines and these the patterns that you see in a lot of a lot of the textiles and the like I went to the African Art Museum recently and you know you have all of these these pieces that people use but there's so much beautiful artwork that is etched in like the woodwork and and that's just part of to me that is the design and so so that has always been something I've been drawn to actually putting it in my work and that is more recent where it's just blatantly in my work and I just think it's a classic aesthetic is you know is just some of the work that you see is like hundreds of years old so it's it's been around for you know for centuries and and it's a part of me as a black person who has roots clearly from the continent like it's I think it's a part of us like we remember we pass down we carry all of that with us so it's in me and it and I feel like it comes out in a way that feels very natural and and I yeah just just been an aesthetic that I feel like has been used a lot in Western art and design. You know, early 20th century work, you see a lot of those same forms that have been, you know, brought into design elements, these mm-hmm. straight lines. And so, <laughs> yeah. No, I, I want to explore that a little bit more because you're mentioning this about, you know, seeing it more in design. I'm certainly, you know, we certainly are seeing that. Uh, mm-hmm. A few episodes ago, we had a furniture designer on the show, Ethiopian furniture designer, Jomo Tariku. And one of the things I remember him kind of really stressing in his interview, just kind of about the culture, is using that as a source of your work, like using that as a source of inspiration to kind of uh, to draw from. Mm-hmm. Was that something that you sort of learned? Well, I know, like you said, it is kind of this innate thing. And I, I totally understand that. Mm-hmm. What I'm curious to know is like when you were at Bowie State, was that something that they also taught? Because I also speak with, you know, design educators. I speak with people that have went to design schools and such. And there always seems to be this this absence of learning about other cultures design that's not Swiss, German, or just European in general. Were they teaching that in any kind of capacity at Bowie State? Well, at, at Bowie, I didn't study design at all. So, oh, that's right. That's right. You were doing computer yeah, science. That's right. College and, I, and I don't know. Yeah. So Columbia College, Chicago was a wonderful, wonderful school. I got a great design education there. They definitely taught a lot of Swiss design. There was Bauhaus. We learned about those very European concepts of what design is. And so, yeah, like as the field of design, which I feel like is a very new, I guess, form and I can I call it art because to me it is art, so it's going to be that way. I know that's something that's debated, but no, we did not learn about the connection to to African art as a form or as an influence on modern design concepts at all. Like there's this school of design that we kind of all we were taught from, and that it's yeah very Swiss. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, re- I remember it's an anthology of essays by. Stephen Heller, which I always keep bringing up in interviews, but it's there's one particular essay by Sylvia Harris called Searching for a Black Design Aesthetic. Mm. And, in, and in that, she talks about how today's black design student, and I want to say this was written maybe in like the, maybe the 80s or the 90s or something, but she was talking about how black design students 
they were learning out of imitation rather than inspiration. Yes. So they were they were certainly learning like these Swiss, German, European design styles and sort of trying to extract their design voice from this other culture instead of mm-hmm. looking at their own culture and trying to discern that as well. Which I, I understand that, but I also can see how it would be difficult if that's just something that you've never been taught. Like I know right. that I've I've challenged not on this show, but I've I've challenged educators <laughs> in person about why they don't teach it. And for many of them, they're just like, they have no idea where to start, which is kind of sad. Yeah, that is. Because li- libraries exist and <laughs> books <laughs> exist. So it's not like, yeah. right, it's not like they have to go on some like Indiana Jones fact-finding mission to find this information. But it is kind of disconcerting when you've got black design students there that want to learn and the the faculty just can't or won't in some cases. You have to consider it a valid, well, not you, but the people who are teaching would have to first consider it a valid point to teach from. And I think that's where the disconnect is, is that because it's, like I said, because it's not this school of design, this counted and measured point to start from, I think that is where they the disconnect is, you know, outside of just how, you know, people of color around the world are regarded in mm-hmm. a sense. And I say that in a general sense, you know, I'm sure there are, you know, teachers who, people who are teaching it, teaching it in some form. Um, but, you know, in a grant, in a bigger sense, I don't know that it's been considered valid. And I, it's funny as you speak about the Black aesthetic, because I'm reading a book, The Black Aesthetic, that was written in like 72. Mm-hmm. And so it, and it's always, it's part of the, based on the, that era where, well, Black people were kind of coming out of the civil rights era and they were rethinking, of course, what design, well, I mean, what art is. So there's art across these different forms and mm-hmm. what it means for, for us, you know, in America um, specifically. But yeah, so rethinking, like having to create our own space, having to think of like where, where we see ourselves in design and in art is not a new concept, but it comes up again for us as we are in this current time, you know, and everything is black art and what aesthetic is, you know, across different mediums is coming up for us again in a a much greater sense. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, I definitely uh, agree with that. One one more thing that I want to kind of just reference from Jomo's interview that I thought was interesting is that we talked about how sometimes African design is seen as a novelty. Mm-hmm. Like usually when, and, and I mean, we see this in media, I think far too often. I don't know if we see it as much now, but certainly I remember in the nineties, whenever there are things that were depicted as Africa, it was always in some sort of a like slapstick comical sort of sense, whether it's the image of like the bone through the nose savage or, right. or the, the, um, God, what's that movie? It's a, it's a franchise of movies called, uh, the gods must be crazy. Do you remember that? <laughs> Yes. Yeah, where it's like the like the the mute, aloof African bumbling through life, that sort of thing. And one thing that that Jomo had mentioned is that you know, as as black designers, and particularly him being from Ethiopia, is that it's important for him to include his culture in his work, so he's not seen as a souvenir, mm. which I think yeah. is is really important. Really important. And no, absolutely. Like 
and I, yeah, like it's funny you mentioned the gods must be crazy and kind of that period because that was what maybe the eighties when that came out. Yeah, I think it was like late late eighties or something like that. Yeah. And so yeah, and so you move out of the eighties into the nineties, and there's this you know this resurgence of reclaiming our ourselves, and here we are again, like twenty something years later, and we're back in that space. So. But, you know, as far as, yeah, like, like the novelty piece and not being seen as a souvenir, I think that's a very powerful statement because that for him, you know, I'm sure, you know, Ethiopian culture, that is who he is. There's nothing pop about it. There's nothing trendy about, you know, what, what comes out in his work. Like it's always there. And I think that the same for, you know, for any, you know, any of us, like it's, it's always there. It's always a part of how we think and and the idea of, like you said, the idea of imitation, trying to kind of almost regurgitate what we see and and trying to make it fit into how we think versus coming from, you know, coming from our own space is is important and it's it's necessary. It's necessary, yeah. Yeah, like like how you you said earlier, how you you rarely design within a grid, and the the grid concept is something that is is a very you know, kind of German slash Swiss sort of construct. Mm-hmm. I, I'm thinking of Ron Eglash did a TED talk about African fractals and how about how it's it's depicted in like cornrow braiding and and in weaving and and stuff like that. So I mean, clearly, you know, from the continent, and there's other people that are in Africa that I really want to interview because they can, they can really speak on this, but yeah, I mean, there's certainly a strong design culture on the continent in different countries, but Africa tends to be kind of lumped together as a whole as like, this is what it all is as opposed to what South African design might be different from West African design, which might be different from East African design, you know? So it's going to take some work. It's, but I I like that, you know, in your work and people like you that you're helping to kind of, you know, shed some light on that and hopefully demystify it some. I would hope so. At least, yeah, for, I I feel like it's important, you know, when I think about like design school and so at Bowie State, you know, I went to Bowie and like I said, they're doing wonderful things there now in the design program. And it's, it's so beautiful to see these black instructors teaching their students and they don't, all the students aren't black, but you know, you're kind of teaching from a, a place of being a black person in America and more person of color in America. And, and you're teaching these at a school that is specifically, you know, rooted in, in educating black students. And so I think that is, would be key for a lot of us is kind of having those spaces where we're not coming into someone else's world, but we're in, you know, in our own world and able to think from that place. Yeah. And I think that would be powerful moving forward. Are there any kind of tools or resources that you use to kind of help build and sharpen your aesthetic? I love books. I love museums. I think museums are a great tool, especially if you don't, travel you don't get to travel a lot so I, i'm luckily i am in washington dc where there you know is a plethora of places to go to to learn visually and so that's really great you know i watch television i watch programming that's always something i can draw from not like just tv but like and podcasts and so like just different forms of media that are i learn a lot 
from even looking or listening and, you know, getting information and then doing research and just looking at, you know, we have the internet, you know, looking at Instagram and, you know, like that is a very basic form of, of use, but it's a very, very great tool for seeing, you know, what's possible, you know, getting inspired by what people are doing. And yeah, I think, you know, and, and I love thrift shopping, vintage shopping. So drawing on things that have been done and collecting, because I collect a lot of a lot of things, furniture, I collect knickknacks and dishes. And so, so those are all tools, I think, for me, for what I create. Mm-hmm. They are very useful. <laughs> so yeah, it sounds like it just kind of helps just being just intellectually curious about stuff. Like there's no particular thing. You're getting a lot of inspiration from different media and, and stuff like that. Absolutely. Yeah. Intellectually curious. That is a great way to say that. <laughs> <laughs> What keeps you motivated and inspired for your work? Oh, what keeps me motivated? That is a good question because I go in and out and I guess creating, you know, because there are moments when I am, well, I'll kind of fall out of this space and I'm, and I'll get concerned. I'm like, okay, like, and just, but kind of jumping back in and doing something small, maybe sketching. Definitely, like I said, being here in DC with museums and I live in the Southwest area of DC. So I'm not far from, from downtown where the mall is, where all of the different museums. So I will literally, you know, go, go to a museum if I'm not feeling inspired or if I want to feel I'm more inspired and going, you know, I'll, like I said, Instagram is, has been really helpful. I love Pinterest as well. well and like, like kind of what I mentioned earlier, a lot of the same tools that I use keep me to create are the same tools I use for getting motivated. But actually creating stuff is really helpful because it's almost like a reminder of who I am sometimes. Sometimes we forget. So, Is there anything that you're like really excited about at the moment? As far as what I'm working on or just in general? Um, we'll say both. Well, of course, Black Panther is coming out. Um, All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, by the time this interview airs, it, it will be out, and I'm pretty sure it will be a a smash. I've already bought three tickets. So oh, see, I'm like, excited. <laughs> <laughs> like, there's so many different ways to see this film. Rest, and I have one, and I'm like, I'm like, I know this is not. Look, I, I took off Friday to go see it. And even if I decide not to make it Saturday or Sunday, they're still getting my financial contribution. Listen, yes, it is. <laughs> I mean, the whole month, the whole month of, well, look, as far as long as the movie is out, like I already know, I know most of us are going to see this, they see it multiple times. There's so many events around it. Oh, like, yeah. you know, as far as the, what I'm creating, like I am working on a poster now and I'm maybe creating some pieces for it. And so, so that is exciting. It's exciting that we are excited about this. And, you know, hearing the reviews from people who went to the premiere and how they are saying this is like no other Marvel film that they've seen before. And I believe it. You know, I don't think it's just people talking. I, I believe that the experience is going to be very immersive. It's going to be inspiring. It's going to be empowering. And, and so that is exciting. And it's exciting that that everyone is inspired even aesthetically like people are talking about the outfits and so that and the design around that which which I didn't mention earlier but that um the aesthetic 
of the film is going to be, uh, it's a big part, it's a big part of um, where, what people are excited about. You know, the premiere was all about these outfits and, you know, the red carpet and just how beautiful everyone looks. So I'm excited about Black Panther and I'm excited about it as a creative work and just as something to be inspired by um, and empowered by. And then I have a project that I'm working on. Well, yeah, I'm working on a, with a, a friend of mine, Nicole Crowder, and she does upholstery and um, Diane Holton, which I think, you know, Diane. So, mm-hmm. and we're working on a, a project for the local West Elm. And it's, so it involved creating some, Nicole's going to upholster some furniture pieces that she hand selects. And so I'm designing fabric that'll be used and Diane's going to be creating some artwork pieces. And so that's exciting. That's going to be in June of this year. And so I've been working, you know, working on my designs for that. So I'm really looking forward to the end result of that collaboration. Nice. Yeah. Now you, you have a lot of, you know, experience as a graphic designer and art director from, you know, just what I've gathered from doing my research and through black pepper papery though, you're focusing on, kind of these more tangible objects. You know, of course, you mentioned this uh, this upholstery project with West Elm and, and Diane, but also you create other home decor, paper goods, apparel. Why did you decide to focus on that? Those are items that I am just, I connect with personally. I love pottery. I love home goods. Like when I go out, I'm always looking at things that people have in a functional way, you know, dishes and bowls and containers and uh, and for the apparel tote bags and wallets all these things that have surfaces basically that you can you know create a design for so those are things that I love personally like I just like collecting and looking at you know items like that so it it was really exciting to actually move into a space where I was creating some of my own work because I've always, you know, admired, you know, other items that I've, that I have, you know, I have things all over my home if anyone, you know, anyone comes here and you'll mm-hmm. see these vignettes of, of items that have been inspiring for me. So uh, that was, uh, it's, it's been a dream of mine since I started in design school. I've always kind of wanted to work in tangible items. And so finally, you know, 15 years later, I finally moved into that space where I am doing it on a much larger scale. So I'm, I'm excited about what's coming down the road. And so, and to be able to be in this space right now. And some of your, your work has been featured like in retail spaces too, right? Yes. So last year was really a really exciting year. I, a lot happened. Um, and, and my work is in the museum shop at the national museum of women in the arts and that's downtown Washington, DC. Nice. And, yeah. And, and that was really exciting because it was, it started as part of a museum exhibit that was focused on black women, abstract artists. It had like 21 artists from the 1960s to the present. And so my work went in the museum shop as part of this grander exhibit. And so they're still going to keep some of my um, pieces there. And so that was really exciting. And, I have some pieces in Nubian Human in Southeast DC and Keeper's Vintage in Baltimore. And um, and there's a store in Philly called Disabled Collective, and she has a few of my pieces. 
And I've done a lot of pop-ups as well, but like right now that's where my stuff is. And that is to even there is more than I could have dreamed of in that in 2017 because I really did not know where I was going initially with what I was doing. I I was just creating because I was excited and I wanted to create and people were really excited about what I was creating. So these opportunities came out of that. Yeah. Yeah. Kojo Boateng, who's been on our show before, he wanted to know if you've noticed a change in the response from retailers to your work in the last couple of years. And if so, why do you think that is? I would say yes. Um, to be honest, I think as Black people around the world, um, we have really come into a space of owning our own and not and kind of seeing seeing our work for what it is. And as the social climate, I guess, as we feel more empowered and we see ourselves and create for ourselves, other people are seeing that how powerful that space is. And so what I think is happening is that our value ourselves as we see the power of what we're creating. Other people want to be a part of that, honestly. And I think that has changed the interest level of a lot of retailers. Like, so people are looking at black creative work and I, I keep saying black, but people are looking at creative work of people of color. What it sounds like is that, you know, as we come to know what we're worth, that's changing, you know, not just our personal value, but it's changing the value of the work that we create. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. And yes. And that I think is what you are seeing as far as retailers. Like, I know of a, a site, a popular design site that at one point was only focused on a certain type of design. And all of a sudden they had all like they just shifted everything over to like, you know, to focusing on black designers. And it was so interesting because it, you know, there was a struggle with how what that really meant. Like, was this a, a true interest or was it just a trend that they were trying to hop on? And I think it's a combination. You know, I think. It's like, oh, we, people weren't really paying attention, but we were still creating and still being our, you know, our great selves. You know, once we started to push our work out there and really present ourselves, you know, because the Internet, I think, also is a big part of what the difference is, is that we have this platform where there is free reign for us to create and show our work. And our voices have become really loud in a great way, I think, over the past few years. And so it's hard to ignore. And so people are seeing it in a way that they wouldn't necessarily have seen it before because we have this platform where we can really put it out there. And so I think that is a part of where the retail part, you know, because it funnels out. So, you, you know, you're on the Internet and we're creating content. You know, there's YouTube plethora, like YouTube videos. You know, there's, of course, Instagram, there's bloggers and there's all these spaces where we've been able to really create a space for ourselves. And so, and, and like I said, as that has grown, it's been really hard to, to ignore the really great and beautiful and creative and exciting work that we have been able to put out there. Amen to that. (laughs) Thank you. Amen to that. Do you feel that you're satisfied creatively with everything that you're doing? Now? Yes, I am much more satisfied. I know that this is just the beginning but from where I was before when I was designing as a work for hire, in a sense, 
working in-house because I've done a lot of in-house work in my career. And now I'm creating work that I think is beautiful and that is coming from me and that people buy because it is from me. I feel much more satisfied as a creative person and as a designer. Yes. Do you have a dream project that you'd love to do? Ooh, (laughs) I would love to, it'll probably be like a, a combination of, of like maybe designing a, creating for a, a space. Like I, one of my loves is to treasure hunt, which I, I think I've mentioned. Like I like to do a lot of vintage shopping. So being able to combine my love for, for thrifting, my love for finding really special pieces and then being able to create work, maybe to reimagine some of that work and, and do it in a space that can either, either be lived in. So like maybe a hotel space or... I don't know if it sounds small because I'm like, I don't know if I've thought, but at the moment, that is something I love to do, to be able to pull together these different creative loves that I have and to be able to combine them into one big project. Mm-hmm. And so right now, being able to kind of travel the world and find beautiful creative design pieces and and art and and bring them into a space that can be enjoyed in a very functional way. I'm trying to think that, yeah, that explaining it, but no, that, that's a good, yeah, that's a good explanation. I mean, like I would love to do a design for a restaurant, like <laughs> the whole thing, interior design, the tables, the chairs, the plates, the silverware, the menu, yeah. all of that stuff. There's a place here in Atlanta called golden Eagle that I go to. It's, it's a fairly new restaurant, but it is probably one of the best designed restaurants that I've been to here in the city in terms of the experience that you get everything from the lighting to the music, the way the menu's been designed, like with the materials of fabric and stuff, the chairs, the drinks, like it's like stepping back in time when you go there to like a particular era or decade or even year, quite honestly. I would love to to make that kind of immersive design experience. I, I get what you're saying. That is that is a pretty dope project because it brings together so many different types of skills that you that you have to have. Yeah, an immersive design experience. That is you, you really wonderful words here. Yeah, because I always talk about my work being about the experience. So it's the feeling that you get. It's the yeah that immersive experience. So I totally agree. That is exactly what I would like to do. So yeah, that I have to check out the Golden Eagle. Yeah. In in Atlanta. Okay. Absolutely. What advice has stuck with you over the years? Anything in particular? I guess I would say show your work. This is a simple one. But as I'm a shy person and I am also an introvert. So like this idea of putting myself out there is has been a struggle even now like I struggle with that so but the the advice to really show who you are show your work and let it you know be a part of you is I think it's great advice that has been very very instrumental in my growth so yeah put it out there don't be afraid to share that part of you that that is really probably exciting and and would be enjoyed. Show, show your work. <laughs> yeah. 
Where do you see yourself in the next five years? What, what would you like to be working on? I would like to be working on probably in, in the hospitality space. I say that now. Well, creating for living spaces. So designing pieces that go in. So similar to the idea of a project, I would like to be on a diff- in a level where I am creating not necessarily in a person-to-person retail, but designing pieces, working with people who are creating living spaces. Mm-hmm. So it could be interior designers. It could, you know, it could be working with even retailers who sell items that are sold. So like uh, small boutiques or like a West Elm. So kind of creating work that is going to all of these different places and not necessarily selling stuff myself. Mm-hmm. So, and so it would be nice to be someone who is had in five years who has, who has made a name for herself in that way. So the Hadia Williams collection, something like that. We can... <laughs> that, would be, that would be very lovely. And I think five years is a, I think that's a good amount of time to have gotten to that point. I feel like I've moved pretty quickly. I don't necessarily um, think that a super fast pace. So I think five years is a good time to, yeah, you'll, you'll see the Hadir Williams collection. Absolutely. All right. <laughs> well, well, just to, you know, wrap things up here, Hadia, where can our audience find out more about you and about your work and everything online? You can find me. I'm at HadiaWilliams.com. That's my design work. Um, my black pepper papery is located at www.blackpepperpapery.com. And you can find me on Instagram at at Hadia Williams at H A D I Y A Williams and at Black Pepper Papery. Well, Hadia Williams, thank you so much for for coming on the show and for sharing your your story and your your inspiration. I think when you said that you design like an artist and how you talked about that difference between design and art is really important. I think as all designers, you know, one thing I, I try to tell new designers is that you really need to learn your personal kind of design language mm-hmm. because whether you're working for a company or you're working for yourself, that tends to be the thing that will sustain you because, you know, as you know, when you run your own business, there's ups and downs. It's not always going to be a continual path of growth. There's going to be slip ups. There's going to be mishaps and things that happen. And so being able to tap into that personal well of motivation and strength and really just kind of innate knowledge that you know what you're doing is super important. And I can tell that with the work that you're doing, that you have that inside of you. And I'm glad, I'm just so glad that you're sharing that it's in places where people can pick it up and bring that energy into their spaces as well. And yeah, in five years, we're going to have the Hadia Williams collection. I'm calling it right now. Yes. (laughs) Right here. Right here. Yeah. So thank you again so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It's been a great conversation. And that's it for this week. Big thanks to Hadia Williams and thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Hadia and her work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. Also, thanks as always to our sponsors, Facebook Design, Glitch, Google Design, and MailChimp. Facebook designers work on creative products that are used by over 2 billion people. But what's it like actually working there? 
You know, everything Facebook designs is done at a massive scale. So design critiques, metrics, and a host of other factors are a huge part of how they work. Does that sound interesting to you? Then learn more about Facebook design and what they do at facebook.com forward slash design. Glitch is the friendly community where you'll build the web app of your dreams. From games to art to music and hardware, Glitch is flexible enough to create some really powerful tools. You can even use it for work or to learn how to code. The possibilities are endless. So what will you create today? Get started at glitch.com. Whether it's defining a branding style in VR or creating a voice user interface that actually feels human, Google Design is committed to sharing the best design thinking from Google and beyond. Sign up for great stories, events, and the latest updates on material design at design.google forward slash newsletter. Again, that's design.google forward slash newsletter. You can also follow Google Design on Facebook, Twitter, and Google+. MailChimp is the world's largest marketing automation platform. They support millions of customers from small e-commerce shops to big online retailers, and they support the creative community as well. MailChimp gives you the marketing tools to be yourself on a bigger stage. Visit MailChimp.com and sign up for a free account today. MailChimp. Send better email. This episode was edited by RJ Basilio and produced by me, Maurice Cherry. Our intro voiceover is by Music Man Dre with intro and outro music by Yellow Speaker. If you like this episode, then please do me a huge favor. Leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. It only takes a minute or two. It helps more people learn about the show, not just here in the U.S., but internationally as well. And like the review that I read earlier, I will read your review right here on the show. Revision Path is brought to you by Lunch, a multidisciplinary creative studio in Atlanta, Georgia. Now, if you're listening to this episode and you want to hear next week's episode a little bit early, then you should become our patron over at Patreon. You know, now more than ever, Revision Path needs your support to make sure that stories about black designers and creatives in our field are being told in their own words. So if you support us, if you support our mission, just go to patreon.com forward slash revision path and pledge today. For just $5 a month, you can get access to behind the scenes information about the show, upcoming interviews, and so much more. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next time.